This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here, host of Now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio. We want to keep you in the now with information on news, sports, politics, technology, all curated and presented by members of the blind and partially sighted community. And that community includes me. But we don't want to do all the talking. We want to hear from you. Do you have an opinion on something you saw in the news? Is something affecting your community? Now is your chance to be heard. Listen to Now with Dave Brown wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I'm Juvita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. I had been very eager to take an introductory geography class at university. Although I'm blind, till then, studying geography hadn't been a problem. Throughout high school, it was understood that I didn't have to look at maps or diagrams and that other ways to assess whether I had understood the material would be found. So imagine my surprise when the professor balked at the notion of exempting me from the visual requirements of the class. So I struggled. Eventually, I started to skip class. My anxiety was ever-present, and halfway through the semester, I dropped the class. Yet, I've since wondered whether the course itself could have been designed differently. Today, we discuss universal design principles in learning and education. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juhita Gupta and I'm the host of the program. It's really great to be with you today. And as I do off the top of every program, my routine reminder about ami.ca forward slash COVID-19, where you can get the latest segments that deal with the pandemic from all our daily live shows. Now with Dave Brown, Kelly and Company, and whatever coverage we might have that's relevant right here on The Pulse. So normally I avoid making the monologue, well, a monologue. I try to talk about the issues and I try to avoid talking about myself. But this issue of universal design, universal learning, um, and some of the barriers in curriculum and evaluation for people with disabilities and for people who might have linguistic barriers is an issue that's been festering in the back of my mind for a very long time. So I described to you that one instance at university, but let me tell you, it was one of several instances where I felt that as a student with a disability, I just didn't belong. So I'm really pleased to welcome today my guest, who is Suzanne Stoltz from the University of San Diego, who wrote a recent paper that looks at universal design in learning and education. Suzanne Stoltz, welcome to The Pulse. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to be here. So for those of us who are dipping our toe into this idea of universal design and learning, give us a working definition. Yeah, when I I teach this to pre-service teachers who are getting ready to go in and work with K-12 students, um, I usually describe it as this is a way of designing our curriculum, thinking about pedagogy with a wide range of students in mind, um, Mm -hmm. imagining the potential diversity of students who will be in the classroom. Um, So... So the idea is that we build flexibility into um, how we engage students. We build flexibility into the way we 
provide content and we build flexibility into the way we expect students to show what they know. Right. Now, for a number of us who are students with disabilities, and I sort of recounted my experience of the top, and I said, we really struggle with this notion that we don't fit into classrooms or we don't belong there. There's something wrong with us as learners. We're just not getting it. Do you know if the research talks about the educational outcomes for learners who might go through K to 12 or even post-secondary education feeling like they just don't belong in the classroom? Yeah, there's actually a significant amount of research that notes that students with disabilities often feel like they don't belong. They don't see themselves in the curriculum and uh, and often feel disconnected um, from from what's happening. Um, and there are a number of things that that play into that, but that the research um, really is solid on that. That is a common experience. So, you know, I was talking to another guest, and in fact, I've talked to a lot of people on the program who've described the curb cut. So it's a phenomenon in architecture where this this principle of universal design seems to first come up, where, you know, if you have a curb cut, it's not just people with disabilities who benefit. Uh, it's everybody who benefits, whether you're a, you're, you're a child, uh, you, you know, whether you're, if you have a lot of bags or you're carrying, a, you have a stroller, that, that curb cut is going to help you irrespective of whether you're in a wheelchair. Am I seeing an analogy that doesn't exist? Or is there something to this idea that universal design, in fact, borrows from architecture? Yes, it actually, the, the um, concept of universal design does come from architecture back in the 1970s and so that's where um, an architect named Ron Mace who was actually himself a wheelchair user um, started to think this way and started to advocate for um, that very thing ramps and curb cuts um, and really brought attention to um, the way that things that we provide for access for one group end up really benefiting everyone and so Mm -hmm. that same concept when we move from you know basic universal design to universal design for learning um, the same thing holds true Um, another example that comes up with that is closed captioning Mm -hmm. so closed captioning was first put in place for um, folks with hearing impairment or folks who are deaf and now, that um, technology has benefited so many other people, folks who are learning new languages, folks who um, need to be in a mm-hmm. quiet space and their, their spouse is sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. So that's another example that I, that I hear, but um, it's certainly true in the classroom as well. When we build in these flexibilities, it really benefits everyone. And yet, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations with uh, advocates within the disability movement and with friends that I have who are teachers in relation to students with disabilities. And as much as I hear what you're saying about universal design principles, I feel like a lot of the conversations that I've been hearing have to do with individualized accommodation plans, looking at the needs of individual students and putting in place required accommodations so they can meet learning goals. No one's really looking at the curriculum side of things as much. So as much as I appreciate the principles of universal design, do you think that educators have adopted this? Has it made its way into policy? 
So um, it is beginning to, and really, although universal design began in the 70s, the concept of universal design for learning um, really was first put into a publication in 1998. So Mm -hmm. um, if you think the last 20 years, um, this has been a concept that is starting to grow uh, more and more. School districts and individual instructors are starting to get a hold of this concept. When I began working at the University of San Diego, they were interested in creating a a master's program for, for teachers that focused on universal design for learning. And Mm -hmm. what was really interesting when we started that, um, with that name, Universal Design for Learning, folks weren't signing up for the program because they didn't know what it was. They didn't know what that meant. And Mm -hmm. over time, uh, more and more folks know what it means. Um, And when I talk to um, teacher educators across the country, People now know what it is, know what the concept is. There are a lot of folks who have not yet uh, learned the framework and have mm-hmm. not yet implemented the idea. And our, our school systems really um, are, are built, like you said, on that individual accommodation model, mm-hmm. um, which really creates you know, a, a way of seeing particular students as others are in need mm-hmm. of something special when really we all need access <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, that's what universal design is, is really supposed to do take the pressure off of doing individual you know accommodations and really mm-hmm. saying you know what we expect you to be here <laughs> we we value you as part of um, our community, and we know this is this is how how you access this. So we built it in. You know, you anticipated my next question, so clearly we're on the same page. But um, I wanted to ask you about teacher learning programs and teachers' colleges. Whether universal design has in fact been baked into the curriculum of teachers, because there's all of these teachers who will be coming in. They are the educators of the future. So where better to start to introduce the notions of universal design for curriculum for evaluation than at the teachers' college level? Are there a lot of programs now that deal with these ideas and concepts? There are a lot of programs that do. Here in the U.S., I know that there are. Um, some federal policies that say institutions of higher education with teacher education programs need to infuse UDL, UDL Universal Design mm-hmm. for Learning, into their programs. So that has helped um, as far as uh, new folks who are going into the field. Again, it's taking some time for folks at the higher education level to really grab a hold of the framework and understand it in order to teach it and spread that. Help us understand the framework. Before we go to a break, just give us an overview of some of the ideas, some of the techniques that you would implement if you were to design curriculum with universal design learning and principles in mind. So you mentioned closed captioning, but I'm sure there are other ideas that are floating around out there. Yeah, um, you know, I'll I'll talk about those three different principles that I mentioned. One is providing multiple means of engagement. 
And that means we understand that people have different ways of getting motivated, different um, interests, mm-hmm. different um, ways of approaching any concept. And so um, within that, we think about providing choice, any ways that teachers can provide choice in um, student learning. We think about making experiences authentic. And um, we think about um, offering students autonomy in the work that they're doing. That's all part of how we engage students. Part of that also can be um, whether students are working independently or whether they're working with a group. That Mm -hmm. can definitely impact um, engagement. And then the the second piece, um, which is providing multiple means of representation, that means that we might provide, um, this goes along with your example with the maps, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There may be visual representations, there may be audio representations. Um, This is where technology comes in. And, mm-hmm. and we use the technology that's available um, so that students can either hear content, um, engage with manipulatives, um, see content, all, all the different ways that we interact with content. So it's providing multiple means for that. The third area is uh, multiple means of expression. And this goes to the idea that students can um, can express what they know in a variety of ways. They can do it mm-hmm. orally. They can do it in writing. They can use computer programs. They can create podcasts, right? Um, mm-hmm. There are so many different ways, acting out scenarios, um, demonstrating their knowledge. So these are all things that get built into Um, a lesson or an environment that uses universal design. My name is Jawitha Gupta and with me is Suzanne Stoltz from the University of San Diego. And today we're talking all things universal design in learning and education. Uh, So Suzanne, you know, off the top of the program, I mentioned that I had this whole kerfuffle with my geography class. And The reason the professor was opposed to changing the way he taught the class was because he was worried about creating two separate types of evaluations for the class. And he felt that by taking away from the content or what he perceived as taking away from the content, it would dilute uh, the academic standards of the program. So when you think about changing the curriculum or modifying the curriculum or even the evaluations, you must have skeptics who say, look, we don't want to take away from our learning goals. We want to take away from our academic standards. How would you respond to them? Yeah, I think that, that concern does come up for a lot of folks. And um, I think there, is, there are enough examples out there to show that uh, by changing the format of an evaluation does not um, diminish the outcomes does not change the expectation. It's saying that you're showing this in a different way, not that you're not understanding the concept, you're not um, meeting the expectation, but you're showing it in a different way. When it Mm -hmm. comes to thinking about equity and whether one student will say, gee, it's not fair that 
Joita gets to do her evaluation this way and I have to do mine this way, um, my response would be, why not offer that option to all students? Why mm-hmm. not say there are a few different ways that you can um, share what you know? There are a few different ways you can do this exam. There are a few different ways you can do this assignment so that students then have that choice and and can, you know, select what works best for them. Mm -hmm. Um, That provides a way to where a student who may have a specific need doesn't have to go and ask for a special accommodation because it's built in. Mm -hmm. That's such, I I wish I'd known you 15 years ago. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Um, let me ask you a little bit because I've had a couple of guests on the program in the past and they've talked about how students with disabilities are really underrepresented in science, in engineering, in math. Um, and that's a concern that everyone's flagged now. There's not a lot of debate about the underrepresentation of people with disabilities in those particular disciplines. Does universal learning and design mean that we might in fact see the numbers of people in STEM disciplines go up? Who have people who have disabilities yeah absolutely I do think it does mean that um, of course um, a lot of times folks who are working in STEM fields do have these types of evaluations that are rigid um, and they do need support in reimagining how those uh, what those assessments can look like um, so I think you know there's a little bit of a lag here in you know, this concept being out there and folks needing good models for how this works in chemistry, how this Mm -hmm. works in uh, the medical field, right? Um, There are folks who are doing it, and I think we need to really find them and share their their models of how they do that. I worked with a really lovely math um, professor at the University of San Diego, who is really interested in universal design for learning. And largely, she was interested in the engagement piece um, Mm -hmm. and considered that students from different cultural backgrounds were not seeing themselves in the curriculum. And so she um, designed in her math class a way that students would research mathematicians of different cultural backgrounds. And in doing Mm -hmm. so, she engaged those students and really changed the way they saw themselves as being a part of math in the first place. Mm, so, that is such a great uh, idea, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, as we sort of get a little more, gain a little more clarity about how universal design principles might be applied to maths and science and English and the social sciences, we talked a lot about that. What about subjects that are a little more hands-on? So the other area where I felt my education was quite deficient uh, growing up was physical education. Okay, you're the blind kid. You're the only blind kid in class. Why don't you um, sit on this bench here and read a book was the extent of my physical education. So when we think about the disciplines that are a little more hands-on, shall we say, phys ed, uh, music, art, can you apply universal design principles to redesigning curriculum and evaluation in those instances as well? That is a really great question. Um, I also had that experience with physical education. Um, I sat on the side of the gym while my classmates um, played ball. Um, And 
you know what, I haven't put a lot of thought into how that would work. Um, I myself imagined over the years a lot of different ways that I could participate. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, thank you for that question. I, I, um, I certainly should should give that some thought, and, and I haven't <laughs> seen anywhere in the literature where anyone is talking about um, UDL in physical education. So, yeah. great question. Well, um, I don't know too much about UDL and physical education, but a couple of months back, I interviewed someone called Kelly Siret on this program. A great guest. I, if you remember her, if you listen to that show, and she really talked about bringing in different types of learning, different learning modules for teaching music. So what we'll do is we'll put a link to that podcast, uh, to Kelly Siret's conversation, and you can always go back and have a listen to that. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about universal design right now, Susan, is because of COVID-19 and there's been a massive disruption in the way we teach and the way we learn. I mean, people, at least in uh, Toronto, where I am, and in many cities across Canada, have flip-flopped between, uh, you know, virtual learning and then they've gone back to school and they're practicing social distancing. There are a lot of issues, but do you think that had we paid more attention to universal design, we may have had a less chaotic transition to online learning or even had more options available to learners of all abilities uh, when the pandemic hit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Actually, in interacting with other instructors, I feel like those who have engaged with universal design for learning had an easier transition. Um, Of course, um, there still are a lot of disabled students who have not been getting um, the attention that they need as people are making these quick shifts and learning technology that they haven't interacted with before. So um, I do think that if more people knew about universal design and were more conscious of building flexibility in before this, that it would have made a difference. I do have some hope, though, that this, I mean, this is, you know, finding the lemonade in, with all these lemons of, of this pandemic is that people are learning the technology now. People mm-hmm. are learning a variety of ways of doing things. And I think that they're going to take this back with them. You know, when when schools are back in um, in person, um, I've talked to a number of K-12 teachers who have said, oh my goodness, I have improved the way that I communicate with te- with the, that I communicate with parents and I'm going to be able mm-hmm. to use this at all times, not just when we're doing distance learning. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that there are a lot of people who are, who are seeing ways that they can use what they've learned through this experience, you know, going forward. We've said a lot of good things about the the benefits of universal learning to students with disabilities. And yet when I was reading your paper, I was uh, pleased and surprised to learn that you were also very aware of some criticisms of UDL, some ideas extended by Jay Dolmage, uh, who is a, an educator here in Canada. And I wanted you to just summarize some of Jay's concerns and how you would respond to them. We've only got a few minutes left. So uh, if yeah. you could do it in about two minutes, that'd be really great. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so Jay Dolmage, he um, looks at Universal Design for Learning, and he has seen on the CAST website there's this really nice a framework where it has those three principles and then gives a lot of ideas for what areas to consider in your teaching. So those three are really broad and then it goes into like 31 different guidelines for teachers. And so his concern is, you know what, this is not something that we can, he, he uses the word checklistified right? So mm-hmm. saying that if we see this framework as a checklist, we're really over oversimplifying the way teaching should happen. And so he's saying we really, this, um, you know, to access in education has to be an ongoing process, not just something you can say, I've done that, check that box. The other thing that he talks about is just making sure that students are at the center of the process, which I thought is a really great way to leave off the conversation uh, as we wind uh, wind down here. Uh, Suzanne Stoltz, it's been really great talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you so much. That was Suzanne Stoltz, who is an assistant professor at the Department of Learning at the University of San Diego. We talked about her recent paper that looks at some of the principles and arguments inherent in universal learning design models. If you missed my conversation and you'd like to go back and have another listen to all a part of it, you can find the podcast for The Pulse on your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, You might have picked up on this over the course of the conversation, but I am a huge fan of universal learning design. I think like any pedagogical model, it's probably got its criticisms and limitations and it probably needs more research, but I do personally feel it has a bright future. Um, I would also encourage you to head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. That's the show blog. And I'll have my couple of other thoughts about UDL on there as well. I'd like to thank Suzanne Stoltz for being the guest on the program today. The technical producer for the pulse is Nisreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio, Paula Deneen, our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening to the program. We would appreciate your feedback. You can write to us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI, or you can find me on Twitter at Joita Gupta. And of course, I'd be very happy to hear any ideas or suggestions you have for the program. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.